This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Niels Bultink. He's the CEO and co-founder of QBlocks. We spoke almost two years ago. He was one of my very first podcast guests when I was just getting started. And I wanted to circle back and get an update on what he's up to. Niels has more than eight years of experience in experimental quantum computing with superconducting qubits. He performed the first feedback on solid-state qubits in 2012. He's been a member of the Dutch National Think Tank since 2011. It's an organization guided by McKinsey and Company. Before his involvement in quantum computing, Niels worked in semiconductor scale-up mapping mapper lithography as one of the module owners. His PhD research at TU Delft led to more than 10 scientific publications centered around fault-tolerant quantum computing with superconducting qubits. His company, QBlocks, is a leading provider of scalable and modular quantum control stack electronics suitable for a variety of qubit applications, as well as a software package. The company's control stacks provide quantum computers with fully integrated and extremely scalable hardware, dramatically simplifying experimental setups, and as a result, paving the way towards quantum error correction protocols with hundreds of qubits. QBlocks leveraged this expertise to create the first distributed control stack for a quantum internet, enabling both the Quantum Internet Alliance's metropolitan network and long-distance backbone efforts. We're going to talk about all of that in our conversation. So welcome, Niels, and thanks for joining me. Delighted to have you back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Great uh, great to be here. Uh, good morning, I, I guess that's to you on your uh, part of the planet. Yes. Great to be here. Great. So looking forward to our conversation. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guest to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. We talked a little bit about this before, but um, if you could briefly provide some background for our audience. Again, my objective is twofold, to give the listeners a sense of what you did before you started QBlocks, but also more broadly to orient listeners to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So maybe please share with our listeners a bit about your background and path so far, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, any insight into companies or organizations where you worked or did research. Yeah, thanks, Chris, for that uh, piece of human interest as well. I feel I feel honored. Um, so uh, I grew up in the Netherlands, and uh, I guess I've always been um, uh, interested in how things work uh, and, and building stuff. So you have to think of uh, playing a lot with uh, with Lego, uh, Lego Lego Technics, and also um, I used to build loudspeakers in high school. So it's a bit of a geeky uh, geeky hobby. Uh, but it already gave me the first steps in uh, yeah, using physics to build things. And that's, I guess, in a way, still what, what I'm doing uh, today. So it also led me, uh, when I, when I uh, grew up, uh, it led me towards physics. So I studied applied physics in Delft. And that's where I also met uh, Jules van Over, the co-founder of, uh, of, of QBlocks. Uh, so I already know him for roughly 15 years. Um, and um, early on in our careers, we moved separate paths, both into startups, uh, where he went into um, uh, building uh, and networks for uh, seismic sensors. I worked in a, a big startup company called Mapper Lithography, as you already mentioned. And uh, 
we were building a new type of uh, lithography machine there based on uh, uh, electron beams. And um, this was my first interaction with a startup company. It was also a very big company, 250 plus employees. And uh, this kind of led me towards uh, building my own company later on in my career. Uh, so that's... Uh, yeah. So I wanted... So obviously you and Jules knew each other for a while, but what led you to create a quantum startup? I think people are always interested. Like, was there an aha moment in the lab or you're walking down the street and you get this epiphany, oh, we could do that with this or apply this in a different way or there, here's a gap that needs to be addressed? Yeah, it's, it's a nice way of framing it, like looking for an aha moment. I think that's also the attitude that, that you and I both had already for a long, long time. Like we were always looking around, um, looking for opportunities to start a company. And uh, like initially we were always thinking when we were in different companies, uh, we were thinking, can we make something out of this sub-problem of the company? Uh, but actually, when I, after I left Mapper, I went, I went back to school. Uh, I went back for a PhD, and that's where, where I started working on quantum computing. And around that time, we were working for a big US-funded um, uh, piece of research on fault-tolerant quantum computing. And to do that research, a lot of engineering was necessary. And, and like back then, quantum computers looked a lot more like lab, uh, experimental physics labs, like we were building these first quantum computers with general purpose devices made for telecom industry or, 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 or general experiments. And to do this next step in, in this big US funded IAPA research, we had to build our own uh, lab tools uh, specifically for quantum computing. And that was a bit of the aha moment. Like if we need this now, uh, many people in the field will need this later on. So that sort of created the idea, let's, let's build a company out of this because this whole field We'll, we'll need these tools. Yeah, no, that's great. What a great uh, setup for, for going into business. So I want to cut right to the proverbial chase, if you will, and ask you about your portfolio. So uh, I saw in preparing for our talk, three sort of go-to-market solutions, if you will, cluster, SPI, mm -hmm. and quantify. And I wanted, you know, if you could tell us what kind of solutions they provide and, and, Ideally, you know, how is this different from what competitors are providing? You've been doing it for a while, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we were back in the lab in, in around 2015, we were still making like partially dedicated systems. Like it, it was partially uh, dedicated tools for quantum computing mixed with some general purpose devices from, from what are now our competitors. And already back then... 2018, we thought, okay, let's make a completely integrated, scalable solution. From around 2021, when we last spoke, uh, we had just launched uh, our, our products on the market, like the cluster, the SPI rack. And these tools combined are all you need for quantum, uh, quantum control stack. So all you need for controlling qubits. And that has been our unique selling point already from back then. And uh, we've, we've taken that path much stronger and, and now still in the market, we are the only one that really provides this, these completely integrated uh, scalable packages. So that's, um, uh, that's where we are now. We've delivered over a hundred systems around the world. So we're everywhere in the US in Europe in Asia, uh, many labs, uh, these tools are used now. No, that's very exciting. So the segue is, can you share some details about like other clients or partnerships and how um, organizations are using your solutions? We've always chosen not to build this complete quantum computer. Um, uh, that has, was also because I was in this big startup company, Mapper, where 
Mapper was trying to build a whole lithography tool all by themselves, which led to a very long uh, go-to-market time. Like it took them more than 12 years to get the machine to market. So that's why we always chose to deliver a part of the quantum computer. Like we wanted to have interaction with customers and partners as soon as possible. So that's, you can really see us as a collaborative company in that sense. Um, and now, yeah, apart from the many customers that we have that just buy the system and use a product as, as an off-the-shelf solution, we also have many of these partnerships where we are working with others, uh, that, especially the ones that deliver another part of the value chain, so to say, um, uh, where they share our DNA, like where they're also uh, really taking their part of the stack to the next more scalable level. And we see this both happening in the in the hardware domains, like the chip packaging when it comes to um, uh, a company like Scalink in Sweden uh, or um, uh, wiring solutions uh, at Delft Circuits or uh, Maybell, for instance. Uh, quantum chips are now being sold as separate products by a company called Quantware or also by the Semicon, uh, on the Semicon side by a company called Semicon. Yeah. Um, and we also see it on the software side, like companies like Controllox, Orange, QControl, where they really focus on another part of the stack and really have the scalable uh, off-the-shelf type of approach. And that's where we really see synergy in working with these partners together. Yeah. So let's talk about Controllox. So I, I read that a couple months ago you announced a partnership with them. Uh, they're certainly a pioneer in the automation of quantum computers. They announced the launch of their first product, Quantum Edge, which automates the tuning and optimization of superconducting quantum computers. So how will this new partnership enhance the capabilities of the company? Controllux is a bit of a younger company. They started about two and a half years ago. And back then they scouted the market and they thought like th this, this control stack space seems already pretty crowded, but the level on top of that, they identified that as a, as a missing part, like to really build more automated uh, tuning solutions or more automated software solutions. Uh, and they looked at, uh, at a way of building their software on top of hardware. And they looked at the market and they chose us as sort of the go-to partner for uh, that, that shared this, this idea of making more automated, more scalable solutions. Uh, so that's what, what we started working on together. Like their software uh, fits very well with our hardware and allows customers to tune up their chips, to characterize their chips in a, in a more automated and, and hands-off fashion. And that's uh, where we really see a lot of value. Yeah, very exciting. So you mentioned Semicon. Let's talk about uh, that relationship. In July of this year, uh, you and Semicon secured 2.5 million euros in European Innovation Council transition funding. So bravo, kudos, congratulations. Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really nice to have these uh, government-backed uh, projects uh, for us. This is one example where we uh, where we know that a new part of a solution that might not be backable by uh, by investors uh, is actually backable by uh, by subsidy instruments like the European uh, Innovation Council. Yeah, no, In this it's, case, it, it's it's a project led by Semicom, and um, it's it's a spin-out company that really focuses on making chips uh, based on silicon uh, spin qubits. And uh, yeah, what they're really good at is to fabricate these chips in a much faster way. So the time between design and having these chips testable, they can do that extremely fast. 
what we are good at is making sure that these chips get tested really fast. So only by, by working together, we can really close the loop between design and, and testing so that the iteration of, of design can be much faster. And that's really where we together find this, uh, this uh, symbiotic relationship. No, that's terrific. I want to ask you about the Quantum Internet Alliance. Um, some people, maybe listeners in the U.S. or other, other parts of the world may not be aware of this organization, but I wanted you to uh, describe you know, wh- what it is, who's involved, and certainly uh, what role does QBlox play in this organization? Yeah, so Quantum Internet Alliance is, um, is a European project um, where they are building the first quantum internet. Like a lot of the f- the focus of, of, of projects and companies is around quantum computing. Uh, but what this, this project uniquely does is it tries to link different quantum systems together uh, and building quantum networks or the quantum internet, if you, if you, if you want, if you want. Um, and what we are doing is um, w- what the teams in this alliance are really good at is making good, uh, good uh, basic network systems but they're still doing it uh, using off-the-shelf equipment and sort of uh, in their own, they can make few node networks. Uh, and what we are doing is we're creating this, this intermediate layer of control. Uh, you, can, you can more call it a control plane uh, of, of many control instruments uh, scattered around uh, miles of distance or kilometers, uh, as we say. We make this, this intermediate layer in a much more... A scalable fashion and also to allow different types of qubits to connect them together. That's really the, the goal yeah. there. So is the quantum, quantum Internet Alliance, are they focused on mostly sort of building out a network to connect uh, nodes or, you know, one of the promises of this kind of technology mm-hmm. is distributed quantum computing, right? That um, you could build sort of super quantum computers that are connected as nodes on an internet um, infrastructure. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, networks have many applications, of course, as they also have classically. Uh, and I think this network computing or also an application, what they call blind quantum computing, where you have a, a client and a computer separated from each other. And as a client, you want to transport your your problem and, and, and the solution you get back in, a, in an ultimately secure way. And having a quantum network really allows you to, to do that. Uh, it's the only way to do that. I would, uh, I would even pose. Yeah. Um, so it links very well with with what you need in in making quantum computers as a service in the cloud, uh, really as a secure service. So that, yeah. that also boils down to it. No, that's very exciting. Uh, I read a couple weeks ago that Scalink and QBlox had partnered to provide state of the art integrated packaging and control systems for spin qubits and superconducting qubits. Wondering how this collaboration evolved and what kind of unique value this is going to provide? Yeah, thanks. And, and indeed, like it, it is a uh, uh, whole greatest hits of partnerships uh, almost. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. I think there are there are a lot of similarities between Scalink and, and, and Controlux. But Scalink is really focusing on the cryogenic part of the stack. So they're not making quantum chips themselves, but they're making the packaging and the, and the wiring solutions around that in a much scale, more scalable fashion so that uh, chips can be easily loaded and reloaded or be replaced by other chips um, and, and that the packaging is much higher quality so that, so that um, the, the qubits suffer from less decoherence, uh, less, less errors. Um, 
And they do this in a way that really resonates well with how we built our part of the stack. Uh, so they make many, ch- they make it possible to, to have many channel chips, many, many uh, input outputs, many qubits. And that resonates very well with, uh, with how we address our part of the stack. So that, that's how it came together. And uh, uh, we can now, we've now already tested in Sweden uh, with a very large chip how this packaging solution in, in combination with our control uh, provides a lot of new value. That's, uh, that's the essence. Great. No, thank you for sharing that. Let's talk more broadly. So to step back and think about the QBlocks roadmap. So tell our listeners, you know, what's next in the portfolio development of the company? Where, where do you see it going? Yeah, I think so. It, it kind of shows you that uh, we're already, for two years, we are around with this integrated solution. And we've highlighted a lot on these partnerships is how, how together with partners, we can deliver more value. Uh, but also internally, we're, of course, uh, have really grown the R&D efforts like we're now uh, have more than 80 employees working in the company. So it allows us to, uh, for one, increase uh, our, our efforts in these scalable solutions. So make even denser, larger uh, control systems. Uh, so right now, our, our products are already capable of doing hundreds of qubits, but soon uh, we will take the, the next steps in that to, um, uh, to increase that capacity by, uh, by a good factor. But I'll, uh, I'll uh, leave the details for later, of course. Okay. And yeah, apart from just more and denser and better channels, uh, we're also working a lot on supporting a wide, wider set of qubits. So there are new qubits being invented. And it's very important for us to, uh, to support uh, those new sides of the field as well. So let's talk about that. So um, I find it very impressive, needless to say, that your approach uh, allows you to apply you know, so the solution to different qubit modalities, including superconducting, spin, and NV centers. And as you implied, there may be new modalities that we don't know about yet, right? And yes, even that we don't know about yet. That's, uh, that's yeah. very well said. Yeah. It also touches, it, it, it gets to the essence of why a value chain approach makes a lot of sense in this field. Like if you, if you think of uh, the world having just a limited amount of resources, then having fully integrated companies that want to do everything themselves is not a very efficient way of, of addressing the problems. Like you want to uh, uh, do parts of the stack uh, for a wide variety of applications um, as much as possible so that these resources are not uh, too much spread out. So that's why I think it's a great, great uh, movement of this field to get more into this value chain approach. Uh, and we are for sure uh, a good example of that. Uh, when it comes to new qubits, like we've originally come from um, a field of superconducting qubits and spin qubits, um, but also these optical qubits like MV centers or other color centers uh, and also photonic systems, they are... Uh, in, a, in a way, they are different from the superconducting qubits and spin qubits. So I think the, the, if you want to call it bad news is uh, they operate at different frequency ranges. So it, it, it means at the hardware level, uh, different types of control. Uh, you need to do photon counting, time tagging, uh, different, different functionalities. Yeah, complicated. So we're, we're, we're developing <laughs> modules specifically for this. And... But I think the good news is that in its core, the control problems of these very different type of qubits 
are also very similar. Like the, you need the same type of processor architecture, which is the bulk of our work and the same type of software. So these commonalities allow for um, a very fast, a fast way of, of bringing uh, very good solutions to the market. Yeah. Nils, do you want to speak about the software? We didn't really, we kind of blew by it, but I think it's an important part of the solution. Just say a few words about how that ties into the control hardware. Yeah. So we like the software that we built and provide is, uh, is the interface towards our users where they can uh, have a very simple way of expressing complicated experiments. That's, that's what it boils down to. Um, so Often, if you see quantum computing, you see uh, these uh, quantum assembly uh, type of diagrams. Is how you program the IBM uh, Qiskit framework, for instance. And it, it is for us important that our software connects with those type of high-level uh, programming algorithms. But at the same time, the experimentalists need much more detailed control of um, of the operations that are going all under under the hood. Uh, so. We provide this access both from a high-level language uh, as well as from lower languages to allow the, the experimentalists to do whatever they need to do to, to bring their qubits to the next level. Great. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to shift gears for a moment and talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is workforce. So mm -hmm. I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like QBlox in finding talent, how you... How do you go about recruiting for your company? Obviously, you must have some associations with leading universities. I mean, TU Dell, for example, is a hotbed of talent for quantum space. Um, wondering how you how you do that? How do you recruit? How do you identify talent? Yeah, for sure, it's um, it it has always been a challenge to to get the right people. Um, but I I hardly feel it because it is it it is something you always do like. We're getting we're getting our people from everywhere around the world. Uh, so I think every conference that we visit to uh, to to engage with customers is at the same time also engaging with the workforce to uh, to get the best people to uh, to work with us. That's that's uh, I think it's a very natural mindset for a company like us to always be engaged with um, with hiring the right talent. Yeah, and are there roles in specific disciplines that are harder to fill than others? Um, I, I think too, I mean, it's the, you're a company, right? So it's certainly physicists and scientists at the core, but I mean, you need certainly because your gear is amazing mm -hmm. in terms of a physical presence, right? I mean, UX design, somebody's put that together where the knobs go and where the plugs get plugged in and, um, just wondering about the range of skills, you know, in your company and maybe missing skills that, you know, would help advance the business model if you could find people with them. Yeah, I think you're making a very fair comment there. Like the more a company evolves and grows, the the more disciplines, specialisms you will need. And I think it is actually uh, it makes the recruitment part perhaps easier uh, because you um, you can really get more specialized people with with a lot of uh, experience in in particularly one domain um, and. Well, the hardest people to get are, are I guess, still the physicists. Yeah. Uh, there are just not enough of them. Uh, yeah. But like um, uh, percentage-wise, the amount of physicists that you need goes down a bit. So uh, the problem in that, get, that sense gets, uh, gets easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
uh, we've come to the end, and I'd like to close by asking my guests to kind of look into their crystal ball and uh, have you share your vision of where you think quantum computing might be in five to seven, even 10 years. And then more broadly, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on how we live and work? What's your philosophical perspective? Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's great. That's a great question. So I think for sure it's, it's, it's a really exciting time. Before quantum technology starts to impact society, uh, like really on a day-to-day basis, I think indeed you have to more think about uh, perhaps 15 to 20 years rather than, than three to five yeah. Uh, but I think the path towards that, like building these bigger and bigger quantum systems and also working on the quality of these qubits can really show along the way what the applications, like what the applications will be more and more. And I think that's also the excitement of this industry is that uh, part of what will really uh, uh, be resulting in this is, is, is really to be found out. But the fact that it will be very impactful is very clear because the yeah the, just the possibilities of having having quantum resources is just so powerful uh, that for sure it will change the way that we live but how exactly is uh, still to be found out <laughs> yes well thank you for sharing that uh, neil it's just been great to speak to you again thanks for joining me and i look forward to our next conversation uh, an update on where the company's going next so thanks for your time I look forward to that, Chris. Um, uh, Let's see. Thank you. So I invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. I want to point them to the website, qblocks.com. You're on X, formerly Twitter, qblocksquantum. I invite the listeners to follow you there. And I want to say again, thanks, Nils, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Nils. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.